Good morning, friends, again. Good morning. Thank you for uh, being here. And thank you, Gail and Marushi, for your generosity, guidance, and good friendship. <clears throat> so this morning, I wanted uh, to talk to you about something that it seems to be with me all the time these days and um, always in the background of my mind. And it might be the same for you. Um, thinking about it uh, starts a flutter in my belly and uh, the ground I stand on feels like it's giving way. <clears throat> it's the feeling of great uncertainty and sadness for the future of all of us and our home, planet Earth. I offer this talk in honor of and with immeasurable gratitude for the great living Earth, the plant world, and our beautiful fellow creatures, seen, <laughs> seen and unseen. <clears throat> I hope this talk is an encouragement to your practice. <clears throat> I set the scene with a poem by Jane Hirschfeld. Let them not say, let them not say we did not see it, we saw. Let them not say we did not hear it, we heard. Let them not say we did not taste it, we ate, we trembled. Let them not say, it was not spoken, not written. We spoke, we witnessed with voices and hands. Let them not say they did nothing. We did not enough. Let them say as they must say something. A kerosene beauty, it burned. Let them say we warmed ourselves by it, read by its light, praised, and it burned. Right now, all over the world, we are living through multiple crises across many systems. And interestingly and encouraging to me, almost every day, it seems popular media is admitting what in the past was presented as separate, even unrelated issues, which is that our social, political, military, and ecological problems are in fact predicated on each other. Each day we seem to recognize we are no longer what we believed ourselves to be all across the planet, China, Russia, the United States, Latin America, Africa. It looks like um, every day we do, we, 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 seem, we seem to recognize we're no longer what we believed ourselves to be, humane, just, moral, a boon to the world, etc. It looks like we are entering a new paradigm. We are in a period of renewal simultaneously in a period of destruction. But I think that, that this is how renewal happens. There is death with rebirth. It's only when we 
are ceasing to be, that we can clearly see what we've become and what we want to be. Of course, when I hear the news about our various disasters, I recoil with despair, but also feel uncomfortable and suspicious of a hyped up tone I hear from the media and the proliferation in the entertainment industry for apocalyptic scenarios. I pause questioning the display of our great appetite for tragedy. It confuses me. Yes, these days I am confused and worried about the world. I struggle and wonder how I can face my fears about our planet and what I can do best to help. This morning, I'll focus on our ecological crises, prefacing it with something writer Rebecca Solnit said, putting the scary scenario in perspective. She writes, The cries of, we are doomed, it is hopeless, things that we say amongst our friends makes us feel we are in charge of one thing in this overwhelming situation, the facts, we are not. Grief at the news morphs into the assumption that we know what the future will be. We don't. Giving over to pessimism is conceding defeat. Many of us have come to know that our Zen practice is maturing us into true human beings. And I increasingly hear the practice asking me to be courageous. Life is uncertainty, and we must make our peace with this fact. Our practice also softens and sensitizes us to take care, to care for everything. We vow to liberate beings, including ourselves. We develop a taste to live free and to stand up for human rights, even though it's a long, hard road. We don't quit because it's hard. We keep going because it's ethical, because it's what's right. As Buddhist ecological activist and scholar Joanna Macy said, says, we don't need good news. We have a calling. She reminds us, instead of being caught in melancholy and lament over the fact that we are alive during a time of great destruction, She asks us to remember we are privileged to live in a pivotal time in human history. Let's not be, I don't know what's about it, spoiled what's about it. We have great work to do here. Our every action and contribution will especially matter now. So what could be the source of the problems? David Bohm eminent theoretical physicist of the 20th century who contributed unorthodox ideas of quantum theory, neuropsychology, and philosophy of mind, said the source of all the crisis on earth is human thought, beginning with the belief thought comes from me. 
because we totally miss the point that what we call me is, is, is defined by thought. This is the fundamental confusion. In short, thought treats our sense of self as a separate self, as a fact. I'm pretty sure we have identified the root of the problem. It is simple and clear. The source of no matter what crisis, and it is our sense of a separate self. Whenever anything disturbing comes our way, we resist and look for who to blame. Have a good look and tell me that casting blame on self, others, or them isn't another way of maintaining our sense of a separate self. Yes, people, including ourselves, are destructive and do destructive things, but there is this setup in life that is wonderfully cunning. Whatever we do to others, boomerangs right back. So blaming is a blind spot. It's an avoidance tactic. It's a dead end. We have all been conditioned through and through in this fundamental fallacy of I as a separate self. In short, you and I are the problem, not the world or the big corporations or whoever we fill the blank with. Whoever they are is a projection of ourselves. In the words of J. Krishnamurti, we are the world as we are, so the world is. To bring about order and peace, we must begin with ourselves. And something else he said that I find encouraging is, if we really understand the problem, the answer will come out of it, because the answer is not separate from the problem. Dogen says in the Ginjo Cohen, speaking about the sense of a separate self. To carry yourself forward and experience myriad things is delusion. That myriad things come forth and experience themselves is awakening. This seems to be the fundamental awakening. For decades, Joanna Macy worked to bring people the message about the state of our ecology. <clears throat> she and other activists were discouraged by what they initially thought was apathy, but then discovered a more accurate description for what they were seeing. The word apathy from Greek means ah, without patros, suffering, without suffering. What they were seeing was a refusal to suffer, a fear of suffering, not an inability or uh, to or callousness toward suffering. I mean, think about it for a moment. How could any human being be unable to suffer? I do believe we may be the experts in suffering. What looks like apathy is, in fact, a sign of how much we do care. It is a muffled cry of love and fear in the face of what we are doing. The destruction of what we are doing to our fellow sentient beings and the earth is so enormous. I personally feel extreme, 
I find it extremely difficult to accept, digest, and assimilate. I feel paralyzed by it. I am complicit in the destruction. Whenever I notice the automatic urge to satisfy every thirst, hunger, and whim towards comfort and pleasure, I was conditioned for it. And what is worse is I am suckered into pursuing all this pleasure and comfort as my right in the pursuit of happiness, an idea used by the commodities industry to manipulate me for their profit with their relentless advertising telling me what I need to have and who to be. When I look, it's so ugly to me, I find ways to turn away from it. But I know, we know, the first step is do not turn away. Facing it, no matter how painful, is the road to resolving the crisis. Once we face what we have done, we will find the determination to create a life-affirming model of, for living. We do not need to live led by the nose, handled by interested parties. After all, this is your life. What kind of life do you want to live? What do you want to support in this life? Let's look at this living world that we are inextricably a part of. Let's look at our interactions with animals. It seems that every day there's another report about the many healing qualities of interacting with animals. Being around them lowers blood pressures, decreases cortisol, the stress hormone, relieves feelings of loneliness. They give us emotional support and lift our mood. We see in animals the virtues of patience, teamwork, loyalty, compassion, unconditional love, courage, determination, and the list goes on. I watch animal videos to comfort and inspire myself in these unsettling times. They remind me I live in a world of innocence, goodness, and compassion. I am so happy when scientists tell us that animals are not that different from us. Dolphins call each other by name. Elephants comfort upset friends. And whales swimming deep in the ocean are singing to each other, just to mention a few examples. As a child, I was, like many of us, fascinated by animals. I wondered about their animal lives hidden from my eyes. I was attracted and marveled at their complete ease in life, their beautiful, untouchable wildness, and the way they behaved as if they absolutely belonged here, like they knew they were home. <clears throat> and what about the green world? Plant life demonstrates in front of our eyes ecology. Ecology, meaning the relations of organisms to one another and to their physical surroundings. Synonyms for, for ecology, preservation, protection, safeguarding, safekeeping, looking after, care, charge, custody, guardianship. The plant world is conscious it is a relational world, pointedly showing us how all beings are interconnected in as deep a way as possible. We owe our lives to the plant world. There would be no life on planet Earth as we know it, but for plants. 
As a child, maybe like you, I was intrigued by the wild places in nature. I loved to explore dense copses of trees. I would crawl inside thick bushes and pretend it was my home. I felt calling all around me an intelligent magic emanating from the green world. The abundance of air and light under an immense sky just felt so very right, and my body vibrated with it. You have probably noticed how trees are very expressive, each one completely displaying its uniqueness. In their general shape, they announce their stance. From the mouths of their branches stream forth rhymes and gestures, leafily speaking something that is ancient and eloquently mute. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Constance and I would often laugh and comment stepping off the porch here about the long leaf pine tree standing in the left side of the yard. A few years ago, that tree had such an endearing, lopsided, friendly, goofy stance and such a strong presence. It was often the first thing we would notice leaving the center. We humans have been painting, singing, and writing our love for the green world and its creatures for centuries. The earliest paintings are not of human beings. They are of animals, of the grace and power of horses, lions, deer, and bison. It was the vast imagination of the green world and our fellow sentient beings that showed us that thing called beauty. How vital is the sense of beauty for us human beings? How would we live without the beauty of the green world, the animals, and all our fellow creatures? These days, I often feel the pull of gravity on my body. It feels comforting to me, this pull towards the earth, as if falling into the earth's embrace. And I remember, oh yeah, this earth is the largest, most magnificent, living, breathing being that I know. Why wouldn't I feel its heart and breath? We live inside its breath, its heartbeat, its atmosphere. <clears throat> Many of us have had a deep communion or have had the experience of unity with nature. Common to many accounts of it is that in those moments, we instinctively and undeniably knew it was a face-to-face -face meeting with reality. We knew we were inseparable from the web of life. We absolutely knew we were integral to it with all beings and that it was forever, that we could never, ever possibly be cut out of it. And so it is. <clears throat> Many beings are making us right this moment, both physically and psychically. We are porous. Everything is porous. Molecules drift in and out of everything, transforming, influencing, rebuilding everything. All of this is a constant dynamic system. I breathe you in, you breathe me in. I eat an apple, the apple becomes me, I become the apple. 
when things transform into each other, who can say this one is exceptional and this one is dominant over the other? There is no hierarchy, no division. Joanna Macy reminds us that we, you, Apple, and I live right now in the three times, past, present, and future. The past lives of all beings in the history of this planet are inside of us, encoded in our DNA. And the beings of all future beings are right now in our DNA. We are all the bacteria, insects, plants, reptiles, fish, animals, rock, soil. We are the oceans. We are the forests and fields. I love Shakespeare, who died in 1616. But once I read him, he he changed me. He became me, and I became him the moment his words penetrated my mind. You see, don't you, that this is not a metaphorical description. It's literally true. We share 50% of our DNA with trees, 70% with slugs, 44% with honeybees, 25% with daffodils, 60% with bananas, 73% with zebrafish, 50% with mushrooms, 99% with chimpanzees, but also 99% with lettuce. <laughs> lettuce. We humans are 99.9% the same as the person sitting next to us. This is our greatest saving grace, the fact that we are all interconnected, because amongst other things, it means we don't know what's going to happen. Let us curb our scandalous arrogance. It's not just humans who will determine the future of life on this planet. Life will probably continue no matter what, whether humans go into extinction or not. It also means that all the sentient beings, with their combined intelligences and virtues, will find a way to adapt, transform, and best of all, heal the planet. With each passing day, we recognize more clearly that human beings are not the end-all and be-all of creation, as we believed for centuries. There is good news out there, people studying and discovering solutions. Most of the solutions scientists are discovering today They are learning from other living species in the natural world. Most of it points to the fact that to survive, we must trust life. Trust life. Our decision to see the universe as inanimate and unintelligent allowed us to dissect it, use it, and deny its validity outside of selfish human purpose. We must recover respect for nature. We can consciously join the synchrony that is already here, that has the experience of millions of years of evolution behind it. Whereas we, human beings, have only been around for 300,000 years. In short, we are beginning to learn from the soil, the insects, ocean life, animals, and plants. 
Studies of the mycelium, the root-like fungal network, show it can save the world from much of the destruction we created. They take up carbon dioxide and utilize it to nourish the soil, break down cellulose to make water, clean petroleum pollution, compost plastic, compost steel, make insecticides, provide antibiotic, antiviral, and immune-boosting compounds, chemotherapy, are a nutritious food source for world hunger, and a lot more. And they have a much more extensive and sophisticated internet, underground internet, for communicating than we do. Of course, it goes without saying. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> they are sentient, highly intelligent beings. In April of this year, a scientist in the west of England inserted tiny electrodes into four species of fungi and discovered they use electrical impulses to communicate. The impulse clusters are so intricate, they actually resemble words. To quote Dogen, grass, trees, and walls bring forth the teaching for all beings, common people as well as sages. And they, in accord, extend this dharma for the sake of grass, trees, and walls. So, what is the most effective thing we can do to help? It is our practice to study the self, to deeply study the delusion of a separate self, being upright with suffering, practice meeting everything with the six paramitas, generosity, ethics, patience, diligence, concentration, and wisdom. I beat the drum of love for our world, for our life, to encourage us to remember our interconnectedness with all beings. I end with The Peace of Wild Things by Wendell Berry. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. Thank you for listening and letting me share these thoughts with you. When the weather is cooler, Mary Carol and I would like to offer a weekend retreat at Auspicious Cloud West with practices and ceremonies of love, gratitude, and respect for our great earth and fellow sentient beings. We'll keep you posted about that.